This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Then she had to go back home to Jakarta, Indonesia, because her dad was struggling with health-wise, and she had to work on the family business. Well, while she's in the U.S., she started hearing about this ministry of mercy ships. And so a lot of times she's sitting there, wait, we don't have anything like a ship that goes to all 13,000 islands in Indonesia. While her family's business rented ships to the country of France to drill for oil in the Pacific Ocean. So she says to her dad, I will come back if you give me two of these ships. (laughs) Welcome to The Better Samaritan, where we're having conversations about how to do good better and faithfully. Hello and welcome to the Better Samaritan podcast where we are learning how to do good better and to do it faithfully and we're grateful to do it with you. We're also grateful that today we get to do this and think about these topics with Tommy Lee who is our guest. We're going to be talking about doing good better and also about innovation which is one of Tommy's specialty and vocation as well. He is the executive director of the Center for Faith and Innovation here at Wheaton College and he also is a leader of Resource Global so we'll touch on both of those And Tommy, I'm looking forward to this conversation. My one hesitation is after you came to my class a couple months ago, you left and then at the end of class, I said, okay, what were our highlights? We spent three hours together. You were there for one hour and they said, wow, that hour with Tommy went so fast. It was like, wait, okay, that's a good thing. I was like, what are you saying about the hours with me? (laughs) But I think anyone who's listening, the time will go fast because you're, yeah, it's been great to start getting to know you, Tommy. And thanks for being here for the conversation. Thank you. I'm just getting to know the Wheaton family. So it's an honor when someone invites me to class. So thank you so much. For sure. So Tommy, one of the topics we're going to talk with you about is innovation. But first, just want to get a little picture of your story and Jamie's getting to know you. So Tell us a little bit about your story of vocation. Like what's been yeah. this pathway of you're getting to this moment here? When I graduated, I was born and raised in Chicago. In 1995, I graduated from Whitney Young High School and I got into Washington University in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. My parents gave me three options for career. Doctor, lawyer, engineer, pick one. I don't care what it is, <laughs> just pick one. So my first year, I was a chemistry major. I love chemistry. And I realized my first class of organic chemistry yeah, that's not for me. So I actually transferred to the Olin School of Business, graduate the business degree, and I built cell towers for about 10 years. My first job at a company called American Tower, they said to me, we just acquired 200 towers from Verizon Wireless. They're all in the file room. There's no order to files. Go organize that. I'm a college grad, seriously? And so that was the biggest learning. How can I be faithful to wherever God has placed me? I did that job so well, they promoted me to be a scanner guy. So I had to scan everything. (laughs) And after about nine months, I became project manager. And so he had to help me learn through some of those things. Did that, went to seminary at Moody Seminary at night. So I I got off at work at Schomburg around five o'clock, then drove to Moody at six o'clock, sat there in class from nine. And then from that point on, came home, then studied from 10 to three, went to bed and then went back to work again. Then after graduation, try to be a pastor Mm -hmm. for three years. I realized my brainwaves does not work well. 
Moody Bible Institute then hired me as special assistant to the president afterwards. So for three years, I traveled with the president. Founders Week, Pastors Conference, major donors was what I did and realized after a while when he left that it probably a top-down organization probably wasn't for me. And so now I get a chance to run Resource Global for a period of time. I was running another program, another seminary, but now I get to work with CFI, Center for Faith and Innovation, and then also Together LA. We've been talking about vocation yeah. this year, and so you, I think four different times you said, oh, realize that wasn't for me. Correct. So for people, especially early in career, what does that look like for you? Like, when did you realize something wasn't for you? And then how do you realize, okay, what's the next step? If I, I know this isn't quite right, but I don't yeah. know what exactly what's next. But yeah, can you describe that? moment or that feeling or how that discernment happens? There's always an unsettling because I started getting to know who I was and what I was passionate about and what God was helping me to become. Some of my passions, strengths, and all that stuff. And so I realized that from the bottom of it, all the organizations and companies I worked for, I didn't want to work for a top-down organization. I needed more freedom. I needed the ability to form my own team. So I was always looking at that. But all my jobs allow me to have the experience to figure out what I like, what I didn't like. And it kept building up from there over the years. Mm-hmm. So you're just realizing, oh, I don't feel the energy here. I'm bumping correct. up, I'm bumping up correct, against correct, not correct. having enough freedom to try new things. Yeah. And you're, yep. Yeah. No. And so, you know, as you were kind of sharing about your story and about how you spent three years in ministry, just to let you know, yeah. it only took me one year to realize <laughs> that I was not cut out to be a youth minister. And it's um, not a bad thing, right? It's not no, a bad no, thing. it's not. Yeah. But it was actually out of that same experience, though, that I really realized that for me, it was the psychology part of it, of like yeah. wanting to help kids and Correct. help systems and yeah, help communities yeah, yeah. that came out of that experience. But so for those that are listening, then what would you say to the person when they're kind of feeling like, oh, it doesn't quite feel like the right fit? How can they still grow in those moments? The biggest lesson, are you faithful to where God has placed you in? It's like that job when I first, I had to be a file boy. And I'm sitting there, I'm a college graduate from Washington University in St. Louis. No, no, Tommy, are you faithful to where God has placed you? Mm. And I did the best job. What I didn't know that now I realize 20 years later, God was using that opportunity to learn skills of organization, to be disciplined in how to spot details from the beginning, disciplined and being organized in every aspect of the job. And I learned to spot how to look at construction drawings, structural analysis, environmentals, all that stuff, how to log everything, Excel spreadsheet, that forced me early on to have the discipline that I still operate today. One of my jobs I had during college, I worked in a bank in downtown Toronto. My yeah. parents lived in Toronto, a 50-story tower, international relations department or international exchange department. So it all sounded fancy, but you go in and I would just call for eight hours a day, call different branches yeah. with like the numbers for that. And I was like, oh, I'm, this is, how am I faithful? How do I do this? This <laughs> is crushing me like by day, by week three and I had, you know, another 10 weeks ago. So then I made it my goal I was going to make every single person I talked with laugh yeah. before they got off yeah, yeah. the phone. And then it became this, yeah, it became a good thing. I got like cards when I was leaving from these different yeah. branches and yeah. things. But yeah, that's another one is like, if you can learn the skills, then how can you find joy Correct. in the midst of Correct. something if you have this job that isn't yes. quite clicking? And, I, and then you're going to look back and say, oh, yeah, you developed those skills. Oh, I got yeah. better at being with people and yeah. sort of finding, you know, that humor can sort of yeah. get through and make it more fun for all of us. But you yeah. find little challenges, yeah, right? Little challenges, yeah. Ch- little challenges. Little yep. challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Nice way to describe it. All right. So let's talk about vocation. Also want to get on innovation. We'll probably jump between these yeah. two topics because you speak so well to both of them. But 
You're at the Center for Faith and Innovation. Can you talk about, in class, you talked about this, but how does innovation fit into you? You talked about freedom, you like ideas, new teams, but how do you, maybe defining innovation, and then, you know, what do you see is important for you about innovation? Yeah, I think a lot of times innovation is looking at something, a problem or a situation, and putting new creative lenses to it. Mm -hmm. For instance, a lot of times I think of the whole idea of test kitchens. I have so many ideas that are in my <laughs> head all the time. But if I sit there and tell all the ideas to my team members, they'll get overwhelmed. <laughs> because there are some people who love structure and processes. But it's on my head and I have a test kitchen. So it's always simmering in this test kitchen. Mm -hmm. And once in a while, I'll throw an idea out and see if there's any hits. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, then I'll just pull it back in and just keep working on it. Now, if it does, all right, maybe I'll get in some interns. Maybe I'll get someone else to work on it. If there's more traction, let's put some money on it. And if it doesn't work, let's pull it back in or maybe it'll work. And so even with Resource Global, that really became it. A foundation in the U.S. gave me a grant to find a creative way to do global missions. And they said, go to Southeast Asia, Jakarta, Indonesia. And so I'm interviewing, I'm assessing. I said, man, I came across these young Christian marketplace leaders, Chinese Indonesians, who went to Stanford, MIT, Harvard, and now have gone home. They're no longer fully Indonesian, but they're no longer fully American. Mm -hmm. That's something we got to work with something with that group. And so now you're asking the question, what is it that you need? They felt lonely. They felt out of place. So we create a whole cohort experience around that. Mm -hmm. And what that grew into was Nairobi, Kuala Lumpur, Hong Kong, Singapore, where everyone's learning from each other. But that was an idea that got incubated over the span of 10 years. Kent, I don't know about you, yeah. but I don't feel like I can relate to that at all about having more ideas than we know what to do with. <laughs> yeah. So that's why Kent and I were exchanging yeah, looks yeah. back and forth as soon as you said that. So we're, we're right there yeah. with you yeah, in that exactly. kitchen. Yes, exactly. And we're not always disciplined enough to hold back yeah, sharing no. our ideas. With <laughs> Going back, how do you break other ideas or principles of innovation? Like when you just mentioned that, so you, you're kind of trying ideas, but in a way that you can adapt and find out whether they work or not. Yeah. You see if there's momentum, you shift kind of fuel there. You're looking at the problem. But yeah, can you break down a little bit? Like when you think about innovation, it sounds like one thing is you're able to test like the mm -hmm. test kitchen. The other is you're evaluating somehow yeah. for like where to put more fuel because it's getting momentum. Are there other things like that that you'd pull out sort of as principles for someone who's early on and thinking about innovation? Yeah. So a lot of times you got to throw it out, then you got to put test out. Hey, is it, does it have any legs on it? Is it worth for us to continue pursuing? And now maybe it's worth pursuing, but it's going to take a lot of money. If I do that, it's going to compromise something else. Mm -hmm. Am I able to get the funding that I need? Because you don't want to just keep pouring money into it where you're just broke and you're borrowing money. And then if it, there's something, then can I get someone else on it? Can I put some time on it? Can I find a part-time? Can I find an intern on it? All of those things. Mm -hmm. And then you keep building it step-by-step. Step. I learned that building cell towers. In 180 days, I have to build a freestanding tower, 200, 300-foot tower. But it really starts with identifying the land. Then from that point, creating construction drawings. Then from that point on, looking at environmentals, your FAA, FCC. So I'm always looking at what are the steps to building out a final product and can it get me to the next step mm -hmm. without bankrupting me or putting me in so much debt along mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. And can I say one more thing? And a lot of times if you're trying to do that on the side, there are some people that I meet who are saying, I'm just going to do it on the side. So that means sometimes you may have to find a job that gives you money 
that impays you that you may not like, but you're good at that allows you to do something you're passionate about until you make money, then you could transition off. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Tommy, one of the things you said in there was that if it's something, then you'll start to add resources, yeah. maybe get some others yeah, on it. Yeah. For you personally, how do you identify if it is something? So one of the things I sometimes joke with our team is that, you know, we'll have an idea and I'll throw it out and I'll be like, I don't know if this is something or nothing. And I refer back to the old David Letterman thing where he would kind of like pull back the curtain and some sort of circus act would come out and he would have the crowd vote. Is this something or nothing? And I often will ask our team that and I realize that's not a very scientific way to know if that is something or nothing. So help us out there. How do we know if it is something that we should be pouring those additional resources into? And I will probably say it also depends on where you are in life. If you only have limited amount of money, you just are more cautious. Mm -hmm. You know, if I make a hit or if I hire someone, put some resources and it doesn't work, it sets me back for years and months. Mm -hmm. But now I'm a under resource global, I'm a 1.2, $1.3 million from zero to 1.3. So now I'm able to make a little more risk choices and put some money. If it doesn't work, I'm okay. It's limited. So it really depends on where you are in life and how much money. So so even part of that is kind of an economic kind of indicator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no, also when you're single, you could take more risk. Mm-hmm. I'm married with two kids now. Right. My wife could kill me if I had to say, if I sat there and I didn't have any hits. Yeah, right. right. Keep going on this, but I realize, oh, I'm getting excited about these ideas. So quick pause in this. Is it, can you describe what the Center for Faith and Innovation does and describe what Resource Global does? Just yeah. a little bit more, because it'll be good for people to have that context as we keep going. Yeah. For the Center for Faith and Innovation, a lot of times we work with alumni at Wheaton, students at Wheaton, and also the greater business work to understand the whole idea of faith work integration. God has created you to be unique and with certain skills and passions. You're not called to be full-time vocational ministry, but you are a to live as a steward. How does a student Wheaton understand that in the light of whether it's in music, engineering, nonprofit, all of that? So we help them. We also have like internships where we have our innovation lab, where for about a whole semester, a team of four, five students work with, let's say, a Tokyo Electron, work with Thriving to address a particular problem to give out to the students. It forces the students to learn how to work together and real life experience, and they learn the entire design process, project management management, all of that stuff. So that's CFI. Resource Global is young Christian marketplace leaders are the catalyst for gospel growth cities around the world. We have an eight-month cohort in which all these guys learn from people in their cities. And then from that point, they learn from other cities around the world. We have 14 different cities at this point right now. How does someone in Jakarta, Indonesia, learn from someone in their own city, but also Singapore. How does Singapore learn from Cape Town? Cape Town learn from Cluj, Romania. Cluj learns from Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So it's teachers like a Mark Laberton, Andy Crouch, Catherine Leary Alsdor, Pat Gelsinger from Intel Wireless. Mm-hmm. They're some of our teachers around the world. And so these you have a cohort. Just describe a little bit more. So there's a cohort of 10 or 15? Or how yep. many people in Jakarta... And what are they doing for eight months? Like yeah. What are the goals? Yeah. For about eight months, they are in monthly cohorts mm-hmm. where they're looking at themes such as calling, identity, faith and work, leadership, mission. We make it very general because our city director then needs to contextualize that theme mm-hmm. for their city. And so now they're learning from people and they're also meeting with their mentors once a month. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. thanks for cause we're picking up pieces yeah. of that. So I think just to articulate that. And I would probably say with that one, yep. where I'm passionate about, they're your future philanthropists. Uh. 
elders, leaders, yeah. board members, they're not called to be pastors, yeah. but they are your future funders within those cities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's really good. One of the things that came up when you're in class with me and the students, I think, kind of yeah. latched onto and wanted to talk to you about was networking. So thinking both for vocation and innovation, I think you're someone who has lots of friendships and you can yeah. already tell you're really generous as a friend and sort of a networker. Can you talk about how networking, you know, how to do it well and how does that play into both vocation yeah. and innovation? And I will probably say I'm a true introvert by nature. My favorite time is when I am in the office by myself from 7.30 to 5.30 or 6 by myself and no one bothers me. It's great, but I realize in my job, I have to network. You just serve, you die to yourself every day. When you're engaging with someone, what is the story that God has written in their life? And can I learn it? Can I be a student of their life? Can I honor and respect? And I realized that has always been the secret to my networking. I just want to learn about what God is doing in your life, how different you are, your different perspective, and allow me to know how to serve you. In the midst of you telling me, how do I serve you well? Not what I need from you. Mm -hmm. How do I serve you well? That has allowed me to build bridges. Oh. And how has that played into other specifics for innovation and vocation? Yeah. I mean, I think they're kind of obvious, but I'd love to hear your take just because I think you've done this well. So I love that, that it's hard, especially early in career when people don't have leverage to think, oh, how do I serve yeah. someone else? But then how does this play into vocation, you know, helping uh, someone early in their career? How do they do that? And think they're going to serve someone else when they don't feel like they have too much to offer yeah. yet. I think a lot of times you're sitting there listening as you're hearing their story, like questions I ask, tell me about your life. Tell me what God has been teaching you or more so what are some of the burdens that God has placed in your heart as you hear those stories? Mm -hmm. You're sitting there, oh, I could connect you with this person. You know what? Mm -hmm. This person might be a good person or here's a good opportunity. You're always thinking and figuring out ways. And along the way, even early on with Resource Global, when we had no money, oh, here's one area that you're passionate about. Maybe I could plug you into what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. And that shows that I'm listening to you. I'm yeah. honoring you, especially in the area of nonprofits. You can't afford the consultants. Mm -hmm. But along the way, you're going to meet these business leaders who have a certain skills figure out a way to use them in the life of your organization. Mm -hmm. That's great. And yet anyone can do that, can mm -hmm. listen really well, and not just thinking for me, but kind of listen generously in a sense to other people's yeah. stories. By the way, Jamie, let me say this. Yeah. One time I sat there in a networking event and a guy says to me, how are you doing? And I proceeded to tell him, because you say, fine. I proceeded to tell him what was going on. And he stopped me and says, I don't care. I'm trying to make conversation. Oh. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the how not to. Yeah, not to part of that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And so going back to kind of like what Kent was saying, somebody who's new in their career, they maybe feel like they don't have a lot. What are some of those kind of like really practical ways that they can start to build relationships within their network? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times, how can they build relationships in their network when they're young, right? Mm -hmm. Listening is very good. And from that point on, ask that, hey, who's somebody else I should talk to? Who's somebody else I could learn from? And one of the questions that will always help you when you sit down with that leader, what are mistakes in your life that you learn from 
that I would love to hear mm. from you. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times you could gain so much from some of those things that they do. And so a lot of times just asking questions and connecting with some of the people in their network. And you build out that network over time. And then what if we flip that then about mm-hmm. somebody who's maybe further along in their career, they actually have a network that actually feels like it's hard to keep up with. Yeah. You know, and there's more requests coming in than they can actually keep up with. What, what would you recommend to them? Asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little too transparent, huh? <laughs> now, if I were you, it gets to the point where I actually would find a project manager that manages your If you're in a position right now where you just have so much going on, you may need to find a part-time person or project manager that just manages your life where you're able to dump in information and help you because it just gets overwhelming. I actually, for the last eight, nine years, I have a project manager that runs my entire life, not assistant, but a project manager. And so a lot of times with all the organizations that I run, she's always keeping me tabs on what's going on. Here are my priorities. Here's the people I need to meet, all of that stuff. What's a story that's encouraged you lately, either from one of the students in Resource Global or a project you've seen in the Center for Faith and Innovation. But I'd love to yeah. hear a story in, that you catch. Oh, this is why I do yeah. what I do. Julia Tan was a graphic design major at the University of Michigan. Then she went to New York to study also as a graphic designer, then worked in New York and all that stuff. Then she had to go back home to Jakarta, Indonesia, because her dad was struggling with health-wise and she had to work on the family business. Well, while she's in the U.S., she started hearing about this ministry of mercy ships. And so a lot of times she's sitting there, wait, we don't have anything like a ship that goes to all 13,000 islands in Indonesia. While her family's business rented ships to the country of France to drill for oil in the Pacific Ocean. So she says to her dad, I will come back if you give me two of these ships. <laughs> That's amazing. Dad says, sure, go ahead, I whatever you want to do. So she has this thing, she has this mind, and she's 23, just joined her cohort, everything like that, scary. And if you talk with her, she's brilliant, but she keeps telling you, I'm not sure if I could do this, I'm not sure. At 23 years old, she then gathers all her friends, they meet every week for about three years. She's a graphic design major, she brought, they designed this ship that provided operating rooms, delivery rooms, all that stuff. They have to raise $1.3 million. She and her friends raised $1.3 million in Indonesia. And during COVID, they provided all the COVID vaccines, all of that stuff, oh, delivery and all wow. to people who can't afford it, 23 years old. Brilliant. That's why. But if you talk with them, I can't do it. I can't do it. And when I go in as the American Chinese older, you guys would have more, in some sense, power than me. Caucasian men go in. What do you want to do? Do you guys want to be up front? Do you want to share? No, oh, no. Why don't you share? No, I can't do it. I'm too shy. <laughs> they have it in there. Mm-hmm. Now for you, us as male leaders to sit under their leadership mm-hmm. and let them thrive and share. It builds up their confidence. And now you see them. They're able to see what they're able to do. Biggest joy in my life. That's amazing. Talk a little bit more about that part. I think you mentioned going into some different settings yeah. where you sort of try to step back, even though you could be put in front. You know, are there examples of when you do that? And talk a little bit more about why. I am the president and founder of Resource Global. Whenever I go in, everyone defers to me, whether it's Africa and all that stuff, especially Asia, they're so deferring. But I realize a lot of times I got to allow them to grow into their own and succeed. And especially some of our female leaders, Asian female leaders. Mm -hmm. How do I serve them well? How do I allow them to flourish and thrive? That means a lot of times I keep my mouth shut, 
I don't have a big presence, but I am in their biggest cheerleader. On the side, I'll coach them, hey, here, let's pay attention to this. Here are some of the things they're doing. I'll process that with them, but I sit under their leadership. It says something to them, but everyone in the room, the guys, she's our leader or he's our leader, I sit. I do that in Nairobi, all of those things. How do I serve these guys well? How do I listen and understand the culture? Mm. I think that both those stories are great. And then thinking about Wheaton and the students you work with, what are you sort of strengths you see in students like the upcoming generation like yeah. it would be Wheaton but other places I imagine what are their strengths and where are places where they need extra coaching to yeah. do the kind of projects you said where they're working on real life projects working on innovation yeah. solving problems amongst all the schools and seminaries I work with Wheaton has some of the best students I've ever met and undergrad students that I work with they're so bright they're able to do it now my job is to help them think through some of these things. Like for instance, we had a couple of interns and we had to create an event. And then from that point, usually a speaker comes in, oh, I'll do the moderation, all that stuff, hosting. But no, no, let's let the students do it. Now let's work with the students on how to plan an event, how to order the right food, but how do you create questions based upon who your audience is and also who your speakers are, but allowing them to think. And sometimes, a lot of times, if they don't have the right thought process, also allowing them to fail as well too, and helping them work through the situations. Mm -hmm. But the key thing for me has always been, how do you get these guys to think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. How do you find the other, thinking of some people who are in nonprofits or other places, what have been the key from the side of the business or the nonprofit that's working with a group of students? Like who's a really good partner to students? Is it the same sort of thing, helping them, giving a problem that's hard enough, but giving enough coaching or, you know, yeah, what it, some people listening yeah. would be, you know, leaders at nonprofits. You know, oh, they work with students, they work with yeah. interns. What have you learned watching it about how you can be good from that side? They only have one semester, so don't give them a big project. Give them one particular project with deliveries mm -hmm. and then get those guys on it. And they can work with it. But sometimes, especially nonprofits, or they come up with bigger ideas, mm -hmm. take one step. And give them and then once they get used to it give them another project all of that yeah make it bite-sizable mm -hmm. you know tommy one of the things i've really appreciated as we've been you know talking through these different issues one of the themes that i noticed was in almost every step of how you talked about innovation one of the things yeah. that stood out was service yeah. you know how do i serve god in this whatever role it is even if it's you know doing filings or what have you you know how do i serve others as i'm networking how do i serve others Correct. you know that i'm coming across in the marketplace yeah. you know that theme of service just really came through so then how can we use innovation in the humanitarian space to better serve others I think a lot of times God is giving you so many different creative ideas, creative brains, or you see so many different things. How can you just think outside the box? Because a lot of times what worked now will eventually change. We were all born in the days of 56K modem. We're in the <laughs> days of AI. And so how do we continue to see and take some of the tools that we have and say, Lord, how do I use it to serve all these people with the groups that we work with? It's mm -hmm. good. And then what, I mean, I think it kind of comes through, but I'd love to hear how you articulate this, but what gives you hope as you kind of think as a Christian and just a, in the generation where we're looking at the next generations come up, what makes you hopeful in the midst of all the changes and from modems to AI, like as we're letting whatever the brave new future is? You know, I was preaching on this not too long ago. Sometimes I do get frustrated because the story of Zacchaeus 
is he's the chief tax collector and he sees and hears that Jesus is coming. And so the guy climbs up a tree and he looks ridiculous climbing up a tree. And all these people are criticizing him, pointing to him. Somehow or another, he has see go beyond the people there and see Jesus in the distance. I sometimes struggle seeing Jesus in the distance because there are so many. If you look at the latest Barna studies, the number of people who are attending church is decreasing. And you would think, oh, they're not attending church. No, no, no. They're, they still believe in religion. They're still praying. They're still reading the Bible. They still say they're Christ followers. They just don't believe in the organized church because all the problems, all of the conversations, all that stuff. And also, they don't want to be told no. So all the guardrails that are accountability and community and fellowship are gone. And But they're still listening to social media. They're still listening to cable news. They're still looking at all the podcasts and listening to all the podcasts that they want to listen to. What gives me hope is how do you continue to help these guys understand the importance of community, being with people who are different than you, being with people who will disagree with you? How do you continue to live as Christians and learn to dialogue well amongst our differences and continue to see Jesus in the future? Mm, that's great. Very good. Well, I think for our time, I promised Jamie, it was going to feel like it yeah. goes by fast. And it goes by fast getting to hang out with you, Tommy. But any important ideas either on, you know, that's on your heart right now or on innovation or vocation yeah. that we haven't touched on here? The one thing, if we could ever come back and talk about something, this is the most important thing in my life. My life has been led by insecurities. I am who I am because of the insecurities in my life. My seminary professor, when I graduate from seminary, says, Tommy, you're always go, 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 do, do, do. You've not learned to reflect. If you do not learn to stop and reflect upon the journey that God has placed you on, you will never truly understand what God is saying to you. I was a boy who had dealt with parents who were just so hard. My parents coming from communist China, mm -hmm. immigrated here. My mom with so much anger because she lost all her money and family. She took out her anger on us mm -hmm. as kids. Mm -hmm. You were the only Chinese student living in your neighborhood. You were chased down by kids because of the mm -hmm. color of your skin right. all day. Yeah. I was made fun of, bullied for being overweight, for not being smart in high school. I lived with so mm. much anger that I had to process through it. I came to know the Lord and then got to church. But for the first time, I got encouragement for what mm. I did. And I loved it. Mm. To the point I kept eating it up. I kept gravitating. I loved the Lord, but I wanted the encouragement. I wanted the affirmation. Mm -hmm. And I dig, dug myself a huge hole that I had so many different blinder spots. I had so many different ulterior motives that I sat in counseling for two years. Mm -hmm. to Lord, help me understand what it means to process my life. Mm -hmm. I remember, and one last thing, yeah. then I went before my church elder at the church that I was with. And I laid it all bare to them. And I said, these are my struggles that I have. Mm -hmm. The elders who were Asian elders at that time says to me, I was doing college ministry for 18 years. And they said, you have sins in your life that disqualify you from ministry. There is no place at this church for you. Oh, and there is no, no oh role in this church oh, my oh, my goodness. The next week, I sat there. And on the church bulletin, it says, Tommy Lee has decided to step down from the college ministry. No one told me that. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. I guess I got fired. Wow. Whoa. That led me to more anger. Yeah. I had to work myself up. The only reason that motivates me in terms of working with younger people, all that stuff, is I know what it means when someone doesn't believe in you. Yeah. The insecurities in my life that I had to work through, the insecurities that haunt me in my life, 
Lord, let me be humble and hear your voice and work through all those things. Oh, thanks for sharing that, Tom. You know, how powerful that you're doing this both with the Center for Innovation, Faith and Innovation, and these young people around the world that you're helping to coach them and encourage them to live into and flourish into who yeah. God made them to be. And yeah. tying that to your story is really incredible. You mentioned counseling. What else, if you don't mind my asking, what yeah. else has been helpful in that journey of kind of reflecting and bringing you to a place where you can yeah. be so generous to so many people in your life? One thing, I was dealt with cancer right in my sinus. Mm -hmm. And this was about five years ago. The doctor says to me, you will be in pain for nine weeks. Mm -hmm. That pain will continue to increase. It will be unbearable and it will not stop. It destroyed the inside of my mouth, the inside of my nose, the outside of my skin. I lived with pain. I cried every day. I sat there in my chair and I heard a voice. So is this the God that you're going to serve? After all these years of serving him, this is the God that did this to you. And I realized right there, I couldn't trust my heart. But then it made sense. That's why God says to Joshua, meditate on my words day and out. Romans 12, 1, 2, allow it to transform your mind. And I realize I dwell on the words of scripture. Remember how he's been faithful to me and others' life. And just trust the truth because my heart will deceive me and continue to follow the Lord day in and day out. Nine weeks, ten weeks, the pain never went away. Mm. I cried so much. I asked for even two minutes of pain-free mm. I got silence. I had to trust the Lord to continue to really allow me to walk with them. Mm. Wow. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for sharing your story yeah. of transformation, but also the way that you're working to help transform other young leaders. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank your, you. Thank your, you. Your generosity is really inspiring. So it's grateful to be colleagues <laughs> with you and look forward to more conversations <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tommy. And thank you to each person listening here. Thank you for the opportunity, the honor to get to walk on this path of learning how to do good better along with you. So grateful to be able to walk alongside you in this podcast, which we do out of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, where we also have a master's program in humanitarian and disaster leadership. And we love getting to talk about these themes, not only with you on the podcast, but hope that you'll come join us in the classroom. So if you're interested in studying on these topics in an MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, we were able to ensure that you can have your application fee waived by March 15th if you use the code HDL24. So the code HDL24 and you don't have to pay an application fee. And if you're interested in studying with us, we would love to hear from you. And the link is in the show notes. So just go to the show notes and follow that and I hope to hear from you soon. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.